Part Thirteen of the Blue Review, Volume One, Number One, edited by John Middleton Murray. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Galleries by Michael T. H. Sadler, Anne Estelle Rice. Observant visitors to the previous exhibitions of Miss Rice's work will notice a very distinct advance in these new pictures alike of skill and enterprise. The contrast is facilitated by the inclusion in the present exhibition of several works belonging to the earlier period, notably numbers 4, 5 and 33. Miss Rice has mastered her colour. It was apt occasionally either to run away with her, or to remain rather harsh and muddy. It is now her slave. She paints less preponderantly in reds and yellows. She is tackling wooded landscapes, rocks, shadow-coloured valleys. Her previous sea-pieces were a shimmer of sunlight on golden sand and blue water. Nowadays she paints curling foam over shingle, or dark blue water patterned into eddies by the wind. In pictures infinitely more complicated than before, she puts on erring shadows, and conquers infinite varieties of plane and distance, and she attempts all this, because form to her, no longer means principally surface form, but roundness and substance. She seems to wish to get her hand round to the object she paints, to express their solidity. This change is not surprising, when one remembers that the structural quality of nature and buildings and human bodies is the quality which is everywhere attracting the young artists. Number 5. L'Eventaille Vert has already been mentioned as an example of the earlier ideal. Built on a framework of strong rhythmical lines, the picture is a decorative arrangement in brilliant colouring. It is flat, not with the symbolistic flatness of Egyptian art, but rather with the flatness of a Japanese colour print, which is really a compromise between pattern and representation. Then turn to number 23, the market's place, and the difference is plain. Here is even less naturalism, but infinitely more reality. The advance is in colour and form alike. There is no very bright colour in the market's place, but yet the picture has the brilliance of southern heat, and glows more than Levantaille Vert, for all the latter's orange and vermilion. By the time this criticism appears, innumerable writers will have jumped on the suggestion of cubism in numbers 13 and 15. Let us be clear in using this unlucky word. The cubists seem to me to fall into two groups. There are those who, like Miss Rice, love structure and content, who love a tree as a definite cubic element in a landscape, a human body, for the firmness of its cubic anatomy. This group are realists, because they keep in touch with nature. The other line of cubism leads away from reality to spiritual expression. Picasso and his imitators follow the inner lead of any natural object through a maze of angles and balanced lines. They have abandoned representation. Like Kandinsky, they are searching for the inner meaning of natural objects. But unlike Kandinsky, they work on intelligence and not on feeling. This must be taken not as a general dogmatic assertion, but as a personal opinion. Kandinsky is to me a musician of colour and line, but the harmony of cubist music has not touched me.
and returning, however, to the realm of the more or less material, whatever one's opinion of Picasso, it is clear that he and Miss Rice are not on the same tack. It is to be hoped, therefore, that no one will be led astray by the rather loose talk in the newspapers, which classifies post-impressionism or anything new in art, as futurism or cubism. Miss Rice, in so far as she paints trees and hillsides in plains, is cubifying, but her cubism is a very long way from the solemn inanities of Durand's latest oils, or the tentative naughtiness of the Grafton group. Miss Rice has a sense of humour, and does not forget that she is cubifying in order to express, and not expressing in order to cubify. The result is that these are fine pictures, number 15 especially, rich and living. In a slightly different form, the same tendency appears in her tree trunks, which Miss Rice is painting under a new convention, and successfully but I hope she won't allow the practice of setting a patterned tree in the right foreground to become a habit. The English watercolourist did so, Turner did so, even Gauguin did so. An almost identical tree appeared in three or four pictures in this exhibition. But while three or four may delight, there comes a time of satiety. In the painting of flowers, Miss Rice shows real genius whether it be an almond tree in flower, or flower pieces pure and simple, the result is splendid. The force and vitality of this painting as a whole is the important thing. Many artists nowadays are vigorous, but not all of them know when vigour stops and fireworks begin, and that knowledge is Miss Rice's treasure of sanity. End of part 13